Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. Nice to have the sunshine. It's weird. We've had all this rain, so you know, kind of gloomy and Ohio-esque like. Um, but it's nice to have the sunshine today. It's supposed to get really hot this week, so awesome. Um, today we're going to talk about restorative justice. Um, so let's go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, dear God, I just uh, praise you because you are praiseworthy. Thank you that we can come in here today, a, p- a place of grace where the world can beat us up all day, all week, and we can come in here and get encouragement and brotherly and sisterly love. We just thank you for that comfort, and uh, we thank you for your church. Please bless this time. May it be edifying to all of us. May it be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, we live in a fallen world. Does anybody not know that? The world is fallen. Um, and with that, like you go to Romans 5, um, where it says, you know, that through one man, sin came into the world. And when that happened, the, the effects of all that, I mean, we're not as bad as we could be, or the world is not as bad as it could be. And, but um, we all grew up in that. Um, it, there's all kinds of trauma that comes along with that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, as far as like, you've heard me talk about chemical dependency, um, a loss of a parent, sexual abuse, parental abuse, neglect, you know, um, just kids running the streets in gangs and selling drugs and, and shooting each other up. Um, so that effect of the fall has caused a tremendous, uh, uh, they say tremendous on our justice system. Um, <laughs> and we all have different opinions about what we should do about that. Um, but all these circumstances, they've, they can cause dysfunction. Um, we can, you know, it's easy to write somebody off when they're in prison and to say, well, they, you know, they made their bed, they can sleep in it. But, you know, this dysfunction comes out in behavior. And <clears throat> so prisons were, would anybody say that prisons were built for rehabilitation? You hear the names, California Department of Rehabilitation and Correction, or Nevada Department of Correction and Rehabilitation. They switch it around there. But, you know, research, um, testimonies, stories from people who've been on the inside, a majority would say, you know what, when I went to prison, I became a better criminal, you know? And it's because of the culture of that culture of that uh, institution and it, if you hear the name you wouldn't think that right you'd be like no you're supposed to correct come back out be a better citizen right <coughs> but in, they end up being schools of crime a lot of times so, so in 1972 we had 300 and 300,000 prisoners in the United States um, today there is nearly 1.7 million incarcerated people in the U.S. That's a large number of people. 
four, we have 4% of the world, uh, world's population, 20% of the world's prison population. So we, we incarcerate more people than anybody, any other country in the world. We spend $80 billion annually on incarceration and um, reincarceration. So when we talk about corrections, prisons, 95% of the people are gonna be released back into our communities. So, you know, we need to look at restorative justice. So how can we assist people coming out of prison to be better citizens? And that's the, was it the $24 or 24 cent question, something like that. So, <clears throat> Department of Corrections Rehabilitation, re-arrest, so in, after three years, two out of three people are re-arrested within three years. I can testify to that because I used to arrest people all the time. I was a parole officer for a long time. People come out, you know, my job was to make sure that they followed the rules. If they didn't, we put them back in. And like I said, we did not have a good success rate. I would say maybe 5% would be a good success rate for a supervision around the country. But that was my life for 20 years. Just, um, so children of offenders are five times more likely to, grow, <clears throat> to go to prison. Um, one in 10 will be incarcerated before adulthood. So it's that cycle of family imprisonment. 1.5 million children are displaced because of incarceration. That's a large number. I had the privilege one time since I, I worked in a kind of a smaller town for a while, um, for a while, and then um, I moved out here, worked in a big town, and you'd think out here, it'd be more anonymous, but I became pretty popular. <laughs> you know, I could walk through the uh, holding place at CCDC and every, hey, Schmidt, what's up? You know, hey, you know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, not even one time, I don't know if I told you guys this before, I was walking through and like three guys like, hey, Schmidt, what's up? Why they're waiting in the holding cell. And I, sarcastically, I go, anybody else? And he goes, hey, man, what's up? Because <laughs> I worked in drug court, so we had, rearrested people quite a bit. Um, but my point is like, when I, so I moved back to Ohio and the department was gracious enough to hire me back. So I had this guy named George when I first became a PO back in 1996. I got George's son on probation. And then when I went back, I got George's grandson on probation. So it's just that cycle of, you know, how do, we, how do we stop that cycle, but it just continues. That dysfunction continues throughout the family. <coughs> Excuse me. So 600,000 um, returning citizens every year into our communities. 3.8 million people on some type of community supervision. And like I said, that's what I did. I, uh, that's what my desk looked like a lot. I remember uh, when I worked in Nevada, we had to, the governor pass this uh, mandate. Every parole officer can only have 70 people. 
I never saw 70 people and the whole time I was here, I was about 120. So that's what it is. And, and, and I guess that system, you know, trying to help somebody when you have 120 cases is quite challenging. And, uh, and mainly when you have that many people, you're basically just going to court and writing violation reports, going out and arresting people. There's not a lot of time to um, assist people the female incarceration rate has increased 64% in the past 20 years. Does that shock anybody? 640% in the last 20 years. Um, it's not research, just my experience. I, I think it has a lot to do with the opioid epidemic, drugs, things like that. Um, <coughs> but that is a massive increase. I mean, that's my career. While I was doing that was, you know, just getting more and more females, more and more younger people um, on parole and probation. Um, I remember when I first started our opioid dependency, most people were probably in their late 30s or 40s, 2007, ended up being like 17 to 28. So we talked about this, the United States imprisons more of its citizens in any other nation. Um, 600,000 coming back um, from correctional facilities annually. We spend $80 billion incarcerating and reincarcerating people. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the financial impact, the cycle of crime, incarceration produces broken relationships, victimization, despair, instability, impacting families and communities across the nation. So what do you guys think, like right now, what's, what's the attitude of criminal crime? It's bad, right? All over the world, it's, it's bad. There's, uh, we hear on the news every night, you know, a lot of gang shootings, um, all kinds of crime and things like that. Um, but it affects the whole community. So there's some rival theories to this approach of what, what do we do? What do we do with, with criminals? What do we do with uh, people who, go, who are incarcerated multiple times? I mean, it's crazy, like, uh, especially out here. I had people on parole, and parole is when you're arrested, you get convicted, you go to prison, and then you come out. And uh, probation is where you get arrested, you go to court, and they say, we're not going to send you to prison, but you're going to be on supervision. So it's kind of like pre-prison. Um, I had people on parole. I had people, <laughs> I had the same person on probation. So they were on parole, they commit a new crime, and they get put on probation. So I have a probation case and a parole case. And I have people with multiple cases. Like, you go to Ohio, where the jurisdictions are a little different, like, uh, every county acts in its own entity. So there's 88 counties in Ohio, so there's 88 different courts. So you could be on probation in Allen County and probation in Clark County and probation in Cuyahoga County. But the libertarian, um, everyone has an equal opportunity, right? Everybody, you know, we all grow up, you can make your own decisions, make your own choices. It's your choice whether you're successful or not successful. Um, <clears throat> and that's a popular one. Um, but when we go back to when I was talking about the 
dysfunction. Um, it's not always that cut and dry. And then distributive, giving people what they deserve. I'm glad that Psalm 103.10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And in Romans it says, but God shows his love for us in that we still as sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm glad I didn't get what I deserved. Jesus took what I deserved and then gave me his righteousness. Um, and when you get into these types of theories, it's really easy to write people off. But there's a lot of brothers and sisters incarcerated or not yet brothers and sisters who the Lord is working with them, you know, while they're incarcerated. <clears throat> Why are they mutually exclusive? Um, I, I would just kind of differentiate them between one, there's, you, you have the opportunities, and then the other one is, well, you did, you, you made your bed, you sleep in it. The one is, like I said, you had opportunities to be successful, and you weren't. The other one is, well, you weren't successful, so. I believe in both of those. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, like I said, when you're talking about that, though, God didn't give me what I deserved, or I would be in prison. Um, but, like I said, he is gracious and merciful, and sometimes people have to go to a dark place to see the light, and, or go to a hopeless place to, to find hope. Um, you cue the video, please.
I was able to go to see some of the family of the young man who lost his life. And uh, honestly, it doesn't matter that he was a drug dealer. He was a young man created with the image of God who did not deserve to lose his life. And I was able to, to, to look in the eyes of the family of the victim and to have the family give you a second chance. Because when it was their opportunity to talk to me, they easily said, you know, that's great that you're a Christian now, but you're not going to be on justice. You know, he's not coming back. They, 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 they gave me grace. And the judge did too. My salvation experience of, of God giving me a second chance and saving my soul that wasn't worthy. And then going in front of the family of the victim who gave me a second chance and forgave me. And then going in front of the judge who was willing to give me um, six to 20 years instead of a life sentence. Um, it really does something in me. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the man I am today or anything that's going on. My, my, my kid would be born, you know, if, if I didn't get a second chance. My name is John Kelly, and I used to be known as a murderer, a drug dealer, a drug addict. Mr. No Hope for Him, Mr. Don't Rob Him Near My Home, Mr. Let's Throw Him Away, There's Nothing Good That Can Come From That. And now, I'm a pastor, I'm a college graduate, I am about to receive my master's, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a mentor, and I'm an advocate for second chances. Okay, so... How does that impact you when you hear that story? What's that? No, but no one is beyond hope, right? Right. The, the dead man and the new man, right? And that changes everything, right? Yeah, and that changes everything, right? All of a sudden, he's walking with the Lord. Life is great. He can't get a house. He have a hard time getting a job, right? He doesn't get all the uh, benefits of being a citizen because of his past, but yet he now he's the new man. And so... <coughs> I guess I'm 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 humbled because I can I can easily be the guy that says criminal write him off. Me too. So I need to be reminded of the personal case. I'm not convinced that necessarily I don't know what this ministry is pushing for, but I don't think second chances means we ne- as a from a Christian, someone who comes to Christ, I don't know as a church we necessarily say so they must come out of prison. Right? I, I don't I don't I don't see necessarily a tension between still paying for your crimes and yet hoping for eternal grace. Right. I, I, I think we can confuse grace and apply it in the wrong situation. At a personal level, of course. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know as a Christian, individuals or as a church, we necessarily want to have a stance well, of what, what that necessarily means, and, and I don't know. Yeah, the point of that testimony was he didn't say, well, I became a Christian, so they need to let me out. 
He said, I became a Christian, so therefore I'm going to take accountability for what I've done. And the civil magistrate's job is to sentence me. And he's not saying, well, I deserve to get out because now I'm a Christian at all. Yeah, well, he got a second chance um, by God using the civil magistrate, lowering his sentence, and then he's able to, God is using him in, in, for his kingdom. So none of those testimonies would be like, okay, I'm a Christian now, so you got to let me out. Everything's good. My take was, um, my son is 13 year old, and for me to see that shocks me. I know it's a reality, you know, but wow, if my, my son is not grounded in Christ, he could be that right. any time of the day. Yeah. He's 13, and he's, he got it. I, I'm sure there are more younger boys, mm -hmm. but if my son is not grounded in Christ, he could be that. Yeah, well, we could all be that any time, but, you know. Um, but that's part of that broken world, right? The, you know, we become the uh, five people, most five people that influence us, right? Um, so I believe people are worth investing in. Oh, Emma. Hi, um, going back to the video, um, I guess it's a really good reminder of how gracious God really is, especially in the legal system, because if you, you know, I guess after watching that video and after, like, hearing him say, like, the judge had grace on him, the family had grace on him, like, that's got to be God. Like, you know, in the world we live in, people are not gracious and merciful, you know, as right. God is with us. And <laughs> I guess that is um, very, like, comforting to me, you know. Also, just it's a reminder that no matter, like, who I meet, you know, I should not judge them based on their past or their background, you know. That doesn't define who they are. That's not their identity, you know. Right. Because as Christians, we all know our identity is in Christ, no matter what we've done, you know. So. Right. Well, I worked in that system where um, I would hear that probably 10 times a day. I came to Jesus. My life is totally different. And there was really not much through that. So the criminal justice system got super cynical whenever we would hear that. Um, then when I became a Christian, it meant a little bit different to me. I could see a sinner struggling with sin just like me a sinner struggling with sin and you know a lot of times that flesh is strong but <laughs> I believe um, that God thinks that people are worth investing in and that's what prison ministry is so important is investing in people um, Mark two seventeen, you know states that you know that God or Jesus didn't come to hang out with righteous people. He came to hang out with the sick, the sinners, people who needed help. Um, Isaiah, uh, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, take you by your hand, keep you. I will give you, I can't, come on. I will keep you, I will give you as a covenant for 
the people a light for the nations to open the eyes of that that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon from the prisons those who sit in darkness uh, so like I said when we say ah oh, lock them up throw away the key well God uses dark places to bring the light God puts people in hopeless places so they can see hope Ephesians 4:11, and he gave the apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry for building up the body of Christ and that's I think a kind of a call to prison ministry And then Ephesians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you have <clears throat> you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I really like how God, I mean, God puts that in there. He says, keep watch for yourself. You could also be tempted. That self-righteousness, like, well, look what that person did. I can never do that, or I can never put myself in that position. But Scripture says, hey, man, you could be in that situation in a roundabout way. So what I'm talking about isn't like justice as far as what the court's doing, the, the uh, you know, people having all these life struggles and being damaged um, I'm talking about what is what is the prisons doing for people who are incarcerated are we making them better prisoners or better offenders better criminals or are we trying to change the big thing you know back in like 2015 2012 was change offender behavior, COB, we gotta do COB, change offender behavior. So they ended up doing a lot of cognitive behavioral things, techniques on how to change your behavior, make good decisions. Um, that has not really worked a whole lot um, because there's no Christ in it, there's no accountability in it. It's all, well, I'm accountability to myself, it's a very secular thing, so <laughs> it really didn't work all that well. Or I gave you the statistics on the rearrest, that's, from 2021 that you know somebody on supervision or gets out of the institution um, two out of three will be rearrested in three years so what makes a good prison how do we make a good prison so when people um, come out or when they're in they learn pro-social norms and fosters good citizenship because right now the institutions, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's, you know, I'm all in it for myself. I got a gang. Um, it's all about power and control. It's all about me surviving. I'm in survival mode. But by changing the culture of the prison, we can change how people are returning to our communities. 600,000 of them are uh, returning to our communities. So how do we do that? By fostering pro-social norms, fostering good citizenship. Um, life after incarceration is not just about avoiding another arrest. That's like our walk with the Lord, right? We don't walk with the Lord and say, okay, I'm just doing this to avoid getting in trouble. We're doing it to glorify God. We're doing it because it comes out of us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. 
We're not just out there saying, okay, I'm just not going to sin. It's way more than that. And that's what this is. Like I said, life incarceration, avoiding another arrest. We don't, if you're just walking around avoiding another arrest, eventually you'll probably get rearrested because, um, I don't know, you guys, uh, a lot of my people would say, I caught a case. And I always thought that was kind of humorous. Like, how'd you catch a case? Usually you did something. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're just walking down the street and bam, oh, I got a bank robbery, you know. <laughs> but I always thought that was funny. Yeah, I, yeah, and you know, a lot of people would say, I caught a case. They say it all the time. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, you, to me, you did something. <laughs> but yes, ma'am. So Bob, um, Bob worked in the, is this on? Is this on? Do I have to press something? Thank you. Uh, my husband worked in the Clark County Detention Center, and he was in the Gideon Society. Mm-hmm. And then they were told, can't give the Gideon Bibles out anymore. Is yeah, yeah, about about once every six months, I distribute Gideon Bibles or New Testaments to any of the inmates that ask for one, mm-hmm. and um, they seem to appreciate that. But one of the corrections officers on his housing module told me that I wasn't going to do that on his module, and and uh, I went to talk to the the um, deputy chief in charge of corrections and he told me that he appreciated what I was doing he said if these a lot of these inmates had had a bible to read when they were younger they probably wouldn't be in here in the first place but he said I'm but in order to keep peace in here I'm going to have to ask you not to do that any longer Mm -hmm. instead of having the courage to tell that officer that I would be allowed to offer bibles to his to the inmates on his housing module he he waffled, and and I wasn't able to do that any longer. And I, I don't well, know. I could just say, praise God, that is not the case today. Uh, CCDC has a very good ministry. There's lots of Bibles um, in CCDC. Uh, I shipped out, I would say, 600 Bibles to Nevada State pr- prisons uh, last week. Um, so that is not the case um, as much. Uh, depends on the institution, depends on the warden, the sheriff, a lot of things like that, their opinion of things, but God has been very gracious. I'll get with you. Um, God has been very gracious in the last decade to where it is open. It is also open to a lot of other um, faiths um, as well. If you when, when you help an offender or attempt to, you got to be smart about it um, because I've been threatened. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, you you have to be aware of your surroundings at all at all times. Watch your back or whatever. Uh, there wasn't always a correction. Yeah, officer there's a there's a big near, nearby. Uh, there's training for anybody who wants to volunteer in the jail. You go through this training to kind of keep you up to speed right, on that we, kind of thing. And, but it's, I think being an offender is kind of a way of life for a lot of people. They don't they think it's normal. Uh, my, I came from a family of criminals, and and what's the big deal about me being uh, one? Also, you know, I, seemed I, to be, that seemed to be the attitude, and I, I thought <laughs> I, I just it was hard for me to understand um, yeah. people in that situation. Which, I wanted to help, but I thought, how do you help when they have that yeah. kind of mindset? 
What you don't know, you don't know, right? Yes. And uh, I was converted at 27, so if prior to that, I thought I was pretty good and I was living a normal life. Sure. Thank you. The, uh, the case is this, it is the case of not being able to distribute the Bibles is a perfect example of a lot of the problems are in the system. You mentioned that it depends on the sheriff, the warden, and all that. Mm -hmm. Actually, it doesn't. It was ruled by the Supreme Court decades ago, unless it's an overriding case, and you have to know this. But people in the system that control the system. They know nobody's going to push it, so they deny the Bible. Right. And it's illegal mm -hmm. on the part of the correctional facilities to do yeah. that. Yep. And so they get by with it because nobody presses it. If you're a private prisoner with money and a lawyer, they'll never get by with it. You'll right. get your Bible. But if you're a public a victim of a public defender yeah. and nobody's going to argue for you, they'll take your Bible yeah. away knowing you're not going to do anything about yeah. it because there's nothing right. you can do about the it. Marginalized. So there are a lot yeah. of problems in the system. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, um, you know, the marginalized individuals, yeah, they don't have any power to change that, you know. Um, so what makes a good prison? Acts 16, 25 through 31, it's where uh, Paul was in prison. Uh, the gates came open and... The guard was like, oh my gosh, everybody's left. What does that mean for me? Death. I'm going to fall on my sword because as soon as they find out all these people escaped that I'm responsible for, I'm a dead man anyway. But by changing the culture of the prison, Paul's in there preaching the gospel. The jailer walked in there and they were still there. Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about is a good prison, changing the culture, facilitating that. And uh, this is my plug for uh, prison fellowship ministries that, you know, we do that. We, we have academies that we go into prisons. It's a 12-month program, um, two nights a week, and we teach cognitive behavioral um, therapy type things to change. And we also, plus Jesus, and this is, we are the largest prison ministry in the world. We're the largest prison ministry in the United States started by Chuck Colson in 1976. Uh, some younger people probably don't know who Chuck Colson is, but uh, he was uh, Nixon's henchman. Um, he did all that stuff for Watergate. He was, one of his best quotes, I think, was, I would run my grandmother over to get Nixon back in the White House. <laughs> so Chuck Colson, um, right before sentencing, becomes converted. And he ends up going in, kind of doing what this the young man here did. He's like, hey, I'm a Christian. I did this. I, you know, what's my punishment? He goes to prison for six months, um, gets out, and he says, I'm never going to forget those guys in prison. I'm never going to forget them. And he started his ministry in 1976, and it's uh, continuing today. But we have academies. We have hope events where we go into yards and just have inspirational music, speakers, and talk to the guys. I was talking to a death row inmate last week, and he was so happy that I was there. And he has been converted, and he knows that he's never getting out of prison. You know, like, 
you know, <coughs> excuse me, like Keith was saying, but this guy's not getting out. So guess what? He's a minister inside. He is preaching the gospel inside. God is using him on the inside to further the kingdom. And uh, we also do angel tree, angel trees. This is the holistic approach. We talked about the kids, all these people who are affected by incarceration, kids, parents, all these single parents. You know, we have an angel tree thing where we go out and uh, get applications. The inmates fill them out, say, I would like my son or daughter or nephew to receive a Christmas gift. And then we give those out to churches. Churches provide that. And it's a way to say, hey, your dad's still thinking about you. He's, he's not forgotten you. Um, but that's how you change a culture of a prison from one of gangs and stabbings to the Lord, the Lord's presence being in there. The people who um, graduate these academies become leaders in the prisons. Prison is, is its own community. They have hospitals. They have libraries. They have, you know... Um, gymnasiums you know it is its own little community and if you can affect that community in a positive way through Christ when those returning citizens are released they become leaders in their communities not just how hey, I'm just trying not to get rearrested I mean that's not a real big goal I mean it's a good goal but you know but moving forward and going out to the community and say look what the Lord has done for me Look what the Lord has done. He has saved me. And we should all really have that um, mentality. But <clears throat> does anybody have any questions? I don't know. <laughs> Um, I, I love the work that's happening on, happening in the prisons and the men that are going in there and, and ministering to the men incarcerated and perhaps women as well. Uh, is there a way that the men in the churches can reach out to the youth of these people that are incarcerated and start breaking the cycle while dad is away or mom is away? <coughs> Is there something in place? Yeah. I, I work with, I try to work with young men uh, at my home, and I, I can see a, a need for men to disciple these young men and women while mom and dad are gone. Yeah, that's what Angel Tree does. It develops a relationship with the church and the families of the incarcerated person, and that leads to, could lead to discipleship or, you know, things like that that can, so the church can come along that family and uh, stop that cycle. Anybody else have any comments? It was interesting that you said um, how the prisons are, you know, the community in themselves, you know. Uh, I've been arrested a lot, been to prison, and um, in the mindset, as I think back of it, it's, um, for me, it wasn't a deterrent to be arrested. I, I just didn't care. Um, it's, you adapt to your circumstances. Um, I, I got along fine with fellow prisoners and that, but it is the heart change. So as I was thinking about the uh, community in the prison, how the laws in the country and the world are changing that 
those that go out and publicly preach on Romans 1 will become more of a community <laughs> of Christians in the long run because they're going to continuously be arrested for preaching the truth about God. <laughs> right. Yeah, more Christians in prison. So. Okay. Um, but just to kind of close on that, um, we have a lot of people who are returning every year, 600,000 people. Um, that is a huge door for the church to minister to people coming out. And also, um, you know, big push is called reentry. Um, that's where the state gives, puts class, puts uh, inmates through classes to kind of, okay, we're going to teach you how to make good decisions. Um, this is more like pre-entry. We're, we're talking about changing the culture of the prisons. Prison is not a nice place. The average age of a CO is 58 years old. That's way, way under, you know, the average lifespan of, of just a, a regular person. It's because of that stress. But if you can change the culture of that prison, you can change <coughs> those mentalities, hopefully that number will go up. Uh, prison Fellowship always, uh, also has what's called a warden exchange program, where a warden will go through a 12-month um, program um, to learn how to change that community, how to, how to affect change, because um, COs, and, and I mean, not everybody, but I don't really talk to people that nice, <laughs> you know, on the inside. You, you're, you're treated subhuman a lot of times. And if you can change the way you have a dialogue with somebody, you can bring about peace. Like I said, as a former police officer, I can tell you the approach on somebody is more important than being able to defend yourself. But if you don't approach them right, then, you're, then the importance of you defending yourself comes up really quick. But the way you approach somebody, the first, um, first level of use of force is officer presence me coming up to you this is that's officer that's the use of force right there because of my uniform because of my badge i have an authority so how am i going to use that authority if i go up and i'm very condescending to someone well they're going to probably not react very well and i'm going to end up in a in a little scuffle but if i can learn how to communicate better if i can learn how to say well maybe there's you know some other issue here or if i treat someone with respect then we will avoid that altogether. So, does anybody have any other questions? Yes, Dan. Right. What do you mean from a Christian perspective or from a worldly perspective, we're restoring you to just follow the rules and don't get in trouble anymore. No re-arrests, right? Restore for us is a new heart, uh, going out, glorifying God, finding those people who need to hear the gospel. But um, anybody here from the Midwest? You ever heard of the FFA? Indiana. All right. So future farmers of America. When I was, when I was working, we call it future felons of America. <laughs> but, um, but that's how, like I said, we can wrap around our communities and, and help 
these people who are coming out who need the Lord, they need the gospel um, in many ways. And there's some amazing testimonies out there um, like, like his, and there's numerous more. Um, most of the people I work with in prison fellowship have been on the inside. They actually want people who have been on the inside. So is there any other questions? Right, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless Pastor Tim as he gives us your word. You would, uh, your spirit would be with us, um, that we would uh, be edified by your word, and that we would uh, and just enjoy you today and enjoy your time. In Jesus' name, amen.